Good evening. I asked Pastor Tim how long I had, and he said, how long do you need? I said, I don't know. I've never done this before. And so I'll just stop when I'm done, and I promise not to go past seven. Um, I thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Tim, to come. Pastor Mike, good seeing you again. I was telling Tim earlier, the last time I was here was 20 years ago. I thought my mom was crazy letting me leave Zanesville, Ohio, and drive all the way up here to see a girl. And, and we did that. My brother and I, we left and did that a couple times. We met at Camp Penile. And um, so I'd come up and see Michael and visit them and, and hang out on a Sunday and then go back home. But I counted a privilege to be here, and I, I thank the Lord that I am here. It was um, by God's grace that I can get up and I can speak to you tonight. Yes, go ahead. How not to lead services. Sorry, little lights, you're dismissed. That's all oh, yeah. little that are I love speaking to go. kids, but this one will not so, apply tonight. Yeah, this massive activity, so I apologize. You're fine. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep, that's good. Oh, that's awesome. That's a bunch of them. That's good. That's great. That's great. Thank you for staying, Michael. <laughs> All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. I want to make sure as I, I give my testimony that you understand this is not about me, that I'm going to do my best to make sure we point to Christ. And this is God's story um, through me. But let's start here in Matthew chapter 25, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. Matthew 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. He called his own servants, and he delivered unto them his goods. And unto the one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to another he gave one talent. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and he hid his Lord's money. After a long time, it's interesting, I had that highlighted in my Bible. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received the five talents came and brought him other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five more talents. And he said to them, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we see the same story happen again. But then in verse 24, we see one who had received the one talent. He came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And, and I was afraid, and I went and I hid the talent in the earth. Lo, and, and there, thou, there thou hast thou that in thy hand. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I soweth not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. That take therefore this talent from he took there, take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. And then verse thirty, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Each one of us have been given gifts from the Lord. Each one of us have been put where God has placed us. Each one of us have a path that God wants us to go on. Each one of us have a mission to accomplish for Christ. 
And God has put us there and God has put us on this journey of life to accomplish what he would like for us to accomplish. And every one of us as Christians, if you're here today, you are a Christian, we are going to stand before our master one day. And one day we're going to stand before God and give an account to the things that we have done here upon the earth, done on this mission that God has called us to do. Now, interesting enough, I have long time highlighted in my Bible, and it was almost a short time. And little did I know that September 13th, 2017, I was about this close to standing before my master. I was that close to meeting my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, departing from this earth and to be present with him. As you know, I had a massive heart attack on that day. Um, after reading and talking, just talking to medical personnel, there was a 5 to 6% survival rate for the heart attack that I had. And so for me to be here, it's a, it's a blessing, it's a miracle, and it's a gift of the Lord. Amen. But God has taught me many lessons through that. Um, this is the first time publicly I've shared my testimony. Um, up to this point, just emotionally, I wasn't sure I could do it. And so I've not shared this with my home church. I've not shared this publicly with anyone. So you're the first. And I count it a privilege to be able to do that um, here tonight with you all. And so it was a normal Wednesday night, um, except we had missionaries coming in. Uh, missionaries we've supported for years from the Philippines, husband and wife. And they were coming into the, in for the day. Um, backing up to the Monday of this week, I woke up Monday morning. And one of the other things I battle in life is ulcerative colitis. And so I woke up Monday morning and I told my wife, if I didn't have so much to do today, today would be a, an ulcerative colitis day. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I just have no energy. I just, I just feel like I need to stay home today and rest. But there's no way I can stay home today. There's so much I've got to do. Um, I, I, I've got to go into work. And so I got ready, went into work, had a typical Monday. Um, Tuesday was a pretty stressful day for me. Still didn't feel good on Tuesday, but just, just went through the day as normal. Woke up on Wednesday, and Wednesday I had absolutely no energy. And so we, we get in the car, and I have a board meeting at, at um, West Virginia University Hospital. I'm on one of the boards there, and the meeting started at 830. And so we got all the family in the car. We went off to school. I drop everybody off, and my 7-year-old looks down at her feet and realizes, Dad, I forgot my shoes. <laughs> So we are in West Virginia, but we still wear shoes to school. Um, It's like, how do you forget your shoes? I said, all right, dad's got a meeting, and my wife teaches kindergarten. I said, I've got a meeting till 1130. I'm going to go home. I'm going to run, and then I'm going to grab your shoes, and I'll bring them back to school. So I go to my IRB meeting. I have it. 1130 comes. I go home, and I just walk up five stairs to our living room, and I'm going to change my clothes, do a four-mile run, and then take her her shoes. And when I made it up those four steps into my living room, I took a deep breath. I thought, man, I have no energy today. And I went from there to the couch. I sat down on the couch. I went through the mail. I did some reading, sat there for about 20 minutes until I stirred up a little more energy. I got her shoes, and I went back to school. And then the missionaries from the Philippines came. We went out to eat, um, went to a Chinese buffet. Um, I've only been there once since. Um, We had Chinese. um, 
we got back to the church, and I had a couple meeting for discipleship. A young couple had gotten saved, and I've been working with them on Wednesday nights. And so I'm discipling them in my office. And as I'm sitting at my desk and um, discipling them, it was, I remember looking at my watch. It was, I finished up at 645. It was right about 643. I got a feeling from right here to the top of my head that I've never felt before. Everything just kind of went numb. And I remember sitting there behind my desk and my hands being like this. They were numb. I couldn't hardly move them. I'm like, this is so weird. And so I, I don't even remember what I'm saying to them. I've just got to get it finished up as I'm doing that discipleship time. And as I'm doing that, then in the next minute, the room just starts to spin. Like, wow, this is crazy. And so I dismiss them, and I go out in the church lobby, and my wife's there. And I said, listen, Carrie, I'm going to be in my office. I do not feel good at all. I'm just going to sit down until I start to feeling better. And her statement was, I told you not to eat all that Chinese. <laughs> um, and so I go back to my office. I sit down in a chair in my office, and I'm sitting there thinking, what is wrong with me? And, and I knew that it wasn't normal, and that's why I told my wife, because I thought, this just isn't right. And so I sit down in my office, and all of a sudden, I had a pain hit me right there in the middle of my chest like I've never had before. It was, it was kind of a feeling like I swallowed a 50-cent piece, and it lodged sideways right here, and I couldn't do anything. And I stood up. I leaned over the chair. I, I fell over the chair like this. I sat down on the floor in my office. I, I'm going to the side. I'm trying to lodge whatever is stuck right here in my chest loose, and it's not working. And now I'm starting to get sick. And it's almost 7 o'clock, and we're getting ready to start our service. The missionary's there. And so I go out and tell Carrie, listen, have knots lead the service. I am sick. I'm going to be in the bathroom throwing up. And she said, okay. So she went in the auditorium. I go in the bathroom. Another man in the church heard me say that. And so I go in the bathroom, and sure enough, I throw up. And I'm thinking, this is good. Whatever's there is going to be gone. And I throw up, and I throw up again, and it's getting, the pain's getting worse. And so by this time, I'm laying on the floor in our church's bathroom. Okay, I, I've taken my tie off. By this time, I've taken my shirt off. Sweat is just pouring off of me. And I'm, I'm rolling on the ground. I'm trying to get comfortable, trying to just loosen up whatever is there. And so the, the head usher came in. He saw what was going on out in the lobby to check on me. And he's like, Pastor, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I said, if I didn't know better, I would say I'm having a heart attack. I said, but, you know, it could be the food we ate. It could be indigestion. Um, go find me aspirin and go find me Tums and bring them both back so we can eliminate both. And so I'm, I'm laying on the floor, rolling on the floor. He goes out. Another man comes in, and he says, Pastor, indigestion does not do this to you. There's something really wrong with you. He said, do you want me to get Dr. Hefner? And Doc Hefner is a couple years younger than me. He's a doctor. Um, he oversees several uh, Med Expresses in Morgantown, and, and he's busy. And on Wednesday nights, he's very rarely ever there because he's always in a clinic, and I couldn't believe he was there. And I said, yes, get him now. And so they ran out and got Dave. Dave came in. And so by this time, there's the two men, Dave and my wife, all standing around this bathroom stall, and I'm laying on the floor just in intense pain, and they're trying to figure out what to do with me. Uh, nobody believes it's a heart attack. I, at, at this point, I'm 10 days from my marathon, okay? Morgantown Marathon's 10 days away. And I was so excited because I'm not, 
I'm not going to run the marathon on a Sunday, and this is the first year they moved it to a Saturday. Like, this is my year. I can run my hometown marathon. And so I'm all excited about this. I'm going to be running the marathon there on Saturday, on the, um, just a, a 10 days later. And, and so they're all there. It's probably indigestion. It's probably not your heart. Um, and Dave's like, I don't know. If I were you, I'd just go right to the ER. And I'm being stubborn. I said, I'm not going to the ER for indigestion. I said, take me down to the, your, take me down to your Med Express. It's just a mile down the road. Hook me up to an EKG and let's eliminate the heart. He said, okay. And so this has been 20 minutes now. And so I get up and I'm, I'm walking out to my car and it's, it's no further from here than to the back of the auditorium. And I go out and Carrie went in to get her purse to get the keys and I get to the car and I collapse on the ground. And I lay there, and I'm in the fetal position on the parking lot of the church. I just want to close my eyes and go to sleep. My body was done. I was sick. I was kind of in and out consciously anyway. And all I wanted to do was close my eyes and go to sleep. But I'm thinking, I can't close my eyes. Okay, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't close my eyes. I've got to stay awake. I've got to stay awake. And so I'm forcing myself to stay awake. And so they get the, they get the door to the van open, and Dave and Carrie help get me up, and they get me in the van. And they take me down to urgent care. He has us go in the back door. And so we get to the, or the urgent care there, MedExpress. I get out, and I walk in the back door, and I look, and there's a room off to the side. There's just, there's just a bed in it. It's no sheets on it, no pillow, no nothing. And I walk, and I see it. The lights are off in the room. I throw open the door, and I just lay down on the bed. I said, Dave, I can't go anymore. I'm done. I'm done. And as I'm laying there, my, the pain started to go from here, and it went into my left arm. And when they talk about left arm pain, I have never experienced anything like it. Okay, it was almost like somebody slammed my, do- my arm in a door and was just continuing to shove it. Um, just, it was just excruciating. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm yelling verbally, ah, in pain because my left arm hurts so badly. Um, it's just not a tingling, I can tell you that. It's pain. And so I'm laying there, and I'm, I'm in excruciating left arm pain, and, and Hefner's saying, listen, you're saying all the wrong things. You're saying all the wrong things. And, and they, they lay me down on the table. They give me this stuff to drink. I forget what they call it, to get rid of indigestion. It didn't touch anything, obviously. And so they're, they're getting me down, and, and they lay me over, and they start strapping on the EKGs. And so they do all of that, and they throw the EKG machine on, and they start looking at it, and then the panic starts. And then um, they, start, they start running around, and Carrie's there, and then another a med student from WVU from our church, he's down there by this time, and they're all whispering. Nobody's telling me a thing. Okay, they're keeping it from me, what's going on. And, and Hefner says, listen, here's nitro. You've got to take it. Your EKGs don't look good. Um, we're calling the squad. Now, we're only... I don't know, three miles from urgent care to Ruby that they called a squad, which is okay. Um, so they're, they're trying to take care of me. I'm in, in intense pain at this time. And then at, back at the church, of course, I've got four children. My youngest girl is seven. My oldest girl is 12. And I've got two boys, nine and 10, right in the middle. And one of the men went in to tell um, our assistant pastor who was working with the youth what was going on. And my kids are kind of watching the panic happen. And they're starting to put two and two together in their mind, but they don't know what's up. And so my nine-year-old, I find out later, 
is he's going from, from man in the church to man in the church saying, what's wrong with my dad? What's wrong with daddy? And he knew something was wrong, but he couldn't, he couldn't put it all together. Nobody would tell him. It's just your dad's sick. Your dad's sick. And so I, I'm laying there. The, the, the ambulance gets there, and they, they give me three shots of morphine. Two shots didn't hit it. They had to hit me three times. And finally, on the third shot of morphine, the pain in the arm started to go away. And they get me out. They get me in the squad. As they're, as they're wheeling me out, um, Carrie's with me, and she looks at the med student, Jeff, says, what is going on? And Jeff says, he's having a major heart attack. And so they, they wheel me out, and I look at Jeff. I say, this is no fun. <laughs> and, and they get me out. They get me in the squad. When they get me in the squad, they put two pads on me right here for the paddles. And, okay, so now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all this is happening. They get in there, and I, I look at, they, they turn the, the siren on, and they pull out. Well, again, this is three-mile three mile John. And I said, man, you got the sirens on. He's like, yeah, we've got them on. I said, why? How bad is it? And he says, sir, it's really bad, and you're getting worse every second. And so I'm, I'm sitting up in the ambulance, and, again, I just want to go to sleep. I just want to be done. I just want to close my eyes and, and be done with this. I, I don't want to hold on anymore. But I keep, I, I'm mentally, I know if I close my eyes, okay, one, I might not wake back up, or two, he's going to use those paddles, and I've seen that on TV. I don't want those. <laughs> and so I've got to stay awake. I've got to stay awake. And so mentally I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to see the Coliseum here in a second. And I see the Coliseum, and I think, okay, Chick-fil-A. I see Chick-fil-A. I'm trying to keep my mind alert. Um, the pain in the arm is going away, so now I'm experiencing the heart attack symptoms of shortness of breath and the, the, the heaviness on my chest. Up to this point, that was, that was gone because of the pain in the arm. I didn't even realize any of that. So I'm trying to talk to him, and I'm, I'm trying to catch my breath, and I've got this heaviness on my chest. Um, they finally get me to Ruby. It, it seemed like eternity, but we get there. They get me out of the, the ambulance, and they wheel me into the ER and, and what had been happening is Hefner, my, the doctor, had been um, scanning and faxing my EKGs to Ruby. And so he was already ahead of the game at WVU Hospital. So he was already ahead of the game. They knew what was coming. They'd seen my numbers. They knew what, I was, what was going on. So there was about 15 people waiting for me in the hallway when they brought me in. And so they, they wheel me in and take me right in. They throw me onto the bed, and, and the, people just start going to town on me. And they start working. And there was a doctor there who was just amazing. I, I found out later that uh, he's on several missions trips, and they believe he's a believer. And he comes in, and he's already got my family history. And my dad, at age 51, who's built just like me, um, very active, had a massive heart attack at age 51 and had a five-bypass surgery um, after. And so the doctor comes in, they're, they're doing the, the echo on me, he's looking at the screen, he says, Treg, listen, the heart attack that just about killed your dad is getting ready to kill you. He said, it's your, your widow maker, it's your left vent, he said, you're going to leave me anytime. And he said, so I'm going to put them here, and he gave one of the nurses or one of the meds there the paddles, and he said, I've got to be ready to bring you back when you do leave me. And so here I'm laying there thinking, I'm, this is it, Okay. You know, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to die. And so as I'm laying there and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? And so 
they went out, the doctor, the, the head doctor there went out and got my wife personally. They said they never do that. You know, they sent someone to get the wife to bring him in. He went out to the waiting room himself and got her. Brought her back to another room and explained to her exactly what was happening. You know, and said, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna die. And so she comes in, of course, she's all upset, crying, and I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? You know, I, I need to call my kids and tell them goodbye. And so as I'm thinking about calling the kids and telling them goodbye, I'm starting to get emotional, and I'm thinking, no, I can't get emotional. This is not the time. Okay, I've got to focus all my strength on just staying alive. And so I, I block that out of my head. I can't call them. They're going to be fine. You know, Carrie's here. And, and they, they finally take Carrie out. So it's just me again, all these people around me working. And, and what's happening is they had to call everybody into the cath lab because um, it wasn't set up. So they're trying to get the cath lab upstairs set up and get the doctors in um, to get me upstairs. And, and so one of the doctors is there, and he's got his cell phone. And he calls the cath lab, is it ready yet? No. And he puts his phone down. 30 seconds later, he calls again, is the lab ready yet? No. And he calls again, is the lab ready? 30 seconds later. And they said, no. He says, I'm going to call you every 30 seconds until that lab is ready. And if it gets ready in between time, you call me on this phone because it's in my other hand. And that's the urgency that was happening there. And I'm laying there and I'm thinking, what is going to happen? What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to Carrie? How is she going to take care of all this mess after I'm gone? What's going to happen to the kids? Who's, you know, who's going to raise my children? And all these things are going through my head. And all of a sudden, you know, just a, a still small voice, but as, as, as clear as clear could be, said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And, and God said, if this... If this was a missionary laying here right now, you would say, man, trust the Lord. He's got this, right? He said, how are you any different than that, Trey? And those ver- that verse went through my head. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And after the Lord, just through the Spirit of God, brought that verse to my mind, I had total peace. I mean, just peace with death, peace with life. It's like, God, whatever you have for me, I'm okay with it. My kids are going to be fine. My wife's going to be fine. Okay? The, 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 the bills will be taken care of. Why don't I just believe? Where's my faith in all of this? And, and I, can, I can tell you where the doctor was. I can tell you who was walking this way. When that moment, it was one of those moments I'll never forget. Where's your faith, Trey? And, and at that moment, the Lord just gave me a piece. Okay, I'm good with whatever. And so finally, um, the doctor himself came down and got me in the cath lab. And he was the, he's the dean over all the, the students that, that go through WVU, and he oversees the whole department. So he is the man when it comes to heart caths. And he comes down, he gets me, and he's taking the bed, and he said, listen, I don't normally do this. I never steer these beds, so, so bear with me. He's like, but I can't let you leave my sight. And so he takes me. They put me in the elevator. We go to two wrong floors, and he has some choice words to say. I remember that. And, and then we finally get up to the floor, and they, they wheel me out, and they throw me right on the table. No pillow, no nothing, just bam. They put me on the table, and, and they, start, they start in with the um, heart cath. But they went in. I still got a little scar right there. They went in my arm. And so they take my arm. They strap it off, and, and they go in the arm, and and because of the urgency of the matter, I'm not, and a lot of times they don't really knock you out, but, but I was awake. 
And so they're going in my arm, and I'm seeing the screen and what's happening, and they go in, and I'm kind of in and out, but then I wake up, and I feel incredible pressure in my chest, worse than, than has happened through the whole heart attack. And I said, Doc, something's wrong. And he said, what's going on? I said, I feel pressure like I felt before. And he said, that's because the balloon is, we're ballooning you right now. And he said, stay with me because you're going to feel completely different in just a few minutes. And just like that, that stint went in and all pain was gone. And all of a sudden I was like, I said, I feel great. I could run right now. (laughs) And and he's like, bear with me. He said, said, no, you're not going to do that. He said, just hold on. He's like, I'm going to knock you back out. I'm going to check everything else out. And by this time, it's about 11, 11, 15, um, Wednesday night. And so uh, at that time, pastors from up to 30 minutes away, they had heard and they were there. Youth pastors from around were there. And I had quite a, quite a waiting room full of people. And so he went out and told my wife, told everybody I was okay. And it took, let me think, they took me back about, it took almost two hours, two and a half hours for that heart cath. And the reason being is um, the, the, the student, the fellow who was doing it, when he was going in looking for it, my, my um, left ventricle actually V's off. And so one goes like this, and then one kind of corkscrews around and twists around and goes down. And all they could see was the one that went off. They couldn't see this one. And so he was looking and looking and looking, and they couldn't find the blockage anywhere. And so then the, the head doctor went and got it, And he said, I was looking and looking, and he said, just as I was looking on the screen, he said, I saw just a little something off to the side of your artery. And I thought, well, maybe that's it. And he said, once I put the needle there, he said, I found your blockage. And so it took a long time for them to find it even. And later, the the other doctor, the fellow told me, if I was your doctor, I'd have sent you home on medicine and told you, I have no idea why you're having a heart attack, because they couldn't find it. And so he said, he, he was... My wife said the doctor was just sweating. He said his whole outfit was just, he was covered in sweat because he said, I'm not going to lie, it was intense trying to get in there and move that around my, that left ventricle because of the way it was designed to get in there and to open me up. And so when they got in there, I had 100% blockage in the Widowmaker and just below it a 70% blockage, about an inch and a half apart. And so they put an inch and a half stint in there and instantly I had blood flow again. And so they, they brought me back to the room. I was loopy. I guess I embarrassed my wife greatly. I don't remember. Um, and, and so the next morning is when everything kind of came together. And I'm laying there in the hospital bed, and doctors I, that did not work on me are coming in. And I asked one of the other nurses, I said, I don't recognize any of these doctors. Who are they? And she said, um, these are doctors in the hospital that heard that you're the man that survived four hours with a widow maker, and they just wanted to come meet you. They wanted to see the guy that survived. It um, just didn't happen. And then um, another doctor comes in, and, it, of course, we're giving the glory to the Lord. But he said, I don't know what to say. He said, you should not be alive. He said, the only thing I can say that you were at the right place at the right time. And... Um, then another doctor came in, my doctor came in, and he, we were talking about it again, and he said, your lifestyle and your running is what kept you alive. He said, what, what we found when we got in there, and his, these were his exact words, he said, your arteries are huge. 
And he said, from all those years of running, he said, you've expanded your arteries. They are so large that when your Widowmaker was blocked, you had such a blood flow of oxygen and blood flowing to the other arteries because of their size. That's what kept you alive for us to save your life. They said, if it wasn't for your running and your lifestyle, you would be dead. And when, the, when I was, another doctor I was talking to came in, and he was looking at those EKGs, he said, you were throwing what we call tombstones. And if you're in the medical field or ever worked, you know what those are, um, the, the T's on the, the EKG. And he said, you were throwing tombstones. He said, you know why we call them tombstones? And I said, no. He said, because when you're throwing those, you don't go to the hospital. You go from the EKG machine to the grave. He said, when you have EKGs like you, you don't survive those. He said, you should have never survived this. And so all these, all these things, you know, are, are going through my mind um, as all this is happening. And my kids, they're scared to death. They have no idea. Um, my, my one son asked my wife, asked my mom, Mamaw, is daddy going to have to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life? They don't know. You know, in their minds, they're thinking, daddy's sick. What's going to happen? Is, is daddy coming home? You know, what's, what's going to take place? They came up to the hospital to visit me, and they wouldn't talk. I mean, they just, they were frozen. And my kids talk, and they, they, they couldn't talk. Um, everybody was just very quiet there. And so the Lord um, spared my life, and I had that, that stint put in. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, the Lord's, what's the Lord got in store? What's the Lord got planned for me? What's, what's the Lord... Um, want me to do, and, and I'm, I'm ready to walk the next day. I said, let's get up and walk. Let's get up and walk. Every nurse, can we walk now? Can we walk now? And so I start walking the hospital, uh, gaining my strength, and so that was Wednesday night. Saturday morning, they sent me home. Um, they told me, the doctor said that was the only blockage they found. They didn't find any, any type of heart disease. They didn't find blockage anywhere else. They said it's just one of those fluke things when you see a guy who's out running perfectly healthy and just collapses dead. This is it. He said, you know, genetically, he said, we've spent millions and millions of dollars to keep guys like you from having heart attacks. You know, my dad had that massive heart attack. My grandpa had a, a heart attack at age 61. Both of his um, grandpas that he remembered died in their 40s of heart attacks. And they said, we spent millions of dollars to keep guys like you from having heart attacks, and we've never been successful. They didn't know how to stop it. And so the stint went in. I, I felt good. Um, everything seemed good, and I went home on Saturday. And I'm, I'm home on Saturday, and, and of course, I'm, I, I'm looking on, on Facebook, and my wife puts a picture up there, and it's a picture of my family. And she put, this is my happy place. And it was all of us at the beach. And I got to looking at that picture, and it hit me. Okay, that picture was taken five years prior. And I thought, you tell me, that's the last time you had a vacation with your family. We left North Carolina in the year of 2013, and we had a busy year transitioning and getting to Morgantown. When we got to Morgantown in 2014, man, ministry just hit, and there was no leaving. Um, Pastor Moran was sick with cancer. We had a, the ministry going, and I was the only guy there. So I'm running the Christian school, running the college career, running the assistant pastor job, the youth. I'm doing everything. 
And, and so this goes on, and you just get busy in life and got busy in ministry. And I'm looking at that picture, and I thought, man, I haven't been away with my family in five years. What have I done? You know, what, what am I thinking? And so it was just two weeks after my heart attack. I looked at Carrie, and I told the kids, I said, come on in. I said, we're going to Myrtle Beach. I said, we haven't been there in, in the five, four or five years, and, and we're going. And, man, they were excited. And so we... We get in the car, and we pack up, and we go to Myrtle Beach. And, you know, up to this point, I'm doing well. I feel good. I'm walking a mile in the morning, a mile at night. Followed up with the doctor a week later. They were very impressed with what was going on and what was happening. And um, we get up, and, and we go to Myrtle Beach. And up to this point, I've been out of the pulpit for a couple weeks now. And we're there at Myrtle Beach, and I wake up my first night there in my first dream I had of having a heart attack. And you talk about PTSD, this, this had to be it, I guess. And so I'm dreaming that this is happening all over again. And I wake up 3 o'clock in the morning there at that resort a hotel at Myrtle Beach, and I'm just covered in sweat. I can't breathe. Okay, my heart rate's up to about 110 at this time. And... I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And I know it can't be possible. Um, the doctors told me I was fine. My arteries are open. What is going on with me? And it's, it's just it's the, my mental state. Because in my mind, my mind is telling me this is happening again, and I, I could not make it stop. And so I get up, and I sit on the couch, and I'm just sitting there on the couch, and I, I, I'm having, I guess what you would say, maybe a panic attack. And, and this is happening, and I, I'm just I'm nervous. I'm away from my doctors. I'm away from my hospital. What am I going to do? I don't know anybody here. I need to see a doctor. I can't see a doctor. And, and this is just going on in my mind. Physically, I know I've got to be okay, but mentally, it's, it's happening again. I, did, I didn't sleep at all that night. Of course, the next morning, I got to get up and, and be with the family and be with my kids, and I didn't want to be. Um, mentally, I was a million miles away. Um, we're walking along, you know, the boardwalk there, and I'm tired, and, and I'm, I'm feeling chest pain, even though I don't, there's no reason for me to have chest pain, and, and just this mental battle starts, and the whole time we were there at the beach, this is going on. Of course, if you ask my kids, what was the best part of 2017, the beach, you know, and I'm thinking, that was the worst <laughs> three days of my life, and, and this continues on. And so I, I get through the heart attack, and the Lord teaches me the lessons there. But now, all of a sudden, okay, all, as a pastor, you counsel people that go through anxiety, that have PTSD and things like that. Now I'm living it, and it's not fun. And I was, I, I'm, I'm journaling this, and I was on the way up here. I was reading um, a part of my journal, and I'll, I guess we'll just be transparent. Let me, let me read a little bit of that to you. Um, here, let's see. I'm suffering, I guess, depression, even though it seems like everything else but depression. I'm not feeling well, which is 90%, I'm sure, due to meds. But prior to the heart attack, I guess I didn't feel well either. My stomach's in knots, I hurt, I ache. And so naturally, my mind is connecting the dots and reliving my heart attack all over again. I guess this is a panic attack. What can I do? What I want to do is go to the hospital, report back in, curl up in a hospital bed, hooked up to my monitors, just letting me know I'm okay. 
but I know I'm okay. I know it's not my chest. I know it's not my left arm. Okay, I need to go home. I want to be home. I just want to curl up in bed until I feel better. Yet, I need to march forward trusting God. He has a plan, and I'm in it. But now I see why people want to stay in bed and continually um, see their doctor. This has to be depression and anxiety. For the second night in a row, I am up, and I can't sleep, and I'm dreaming. I'm having a heart attack. It's real. And there wasn't a hymn. There wasn't a verse. I've got so many verses memorized, books of the Bible memorized, and there was nothing that I could do or read or listen to that could calm that down. And so now I've got a choice. What am I going to do? And that's when I called, I called Tim and, and, and said, listen, I don't think I can make it to Arch. And I'm thinking, man, how in the world can I be in Orlando and something like this happen and, and something happens to me and I've got to get back to my doctors. What am I going to do in Orlando if I have a panic attack? And, and so all this is happening. And so I, I'm trying to rationalize this. I'm trying to, to figure out what's going on. And up to that point, I've been teaching a series in the book of Joshua. Okay? And if you would, let's go to the book of Joshua. I'll show you what the Lord showed me here. And we can start in Joshua chapter 1. Of course, Moses is dead. Joshua has got to take over the children of Israel and lead them. And I'm thinking, right, Joshua's having a panic attack, right? Um, if nothing else, I mean, but in all honesty, I mean, he has lost the one that he was closest to. I mean, he and Moses have been partners for 40 years. And this was his right-hand man. This was his go-to guy that they were there together. And he's dead. And not only does he have upon his shoulders the aspect that now he's got to lead these people, he's got no Moses to fall back on while he does it. It's all him. And, and he's mourning, and all this is going on, and God comes to Moses, or comes to Joshua in, in chapter 1 and verse 2 and says this, Moses is dead, and in my Bible, the margin of my Bible, I've got in all caps, exclamation point, get up. Moses is dead, Joshua, get up. And then if you fast forward over to chapter 7, it's ache and sin. And Joshua has another panic attack. Well, you've brought me into the land. God, you brought me in here to win. We had this huge battle in Jericho, and now we lose to Ai. What is going on? And, and now he is in depression again because of what has happened. And so he falls on his face again before God. He's in mourning. And look at verse 10 of chapter 7. Joshua, get up. I'm laying in bed. I don't... I've got... A couple meetings that day, I remember the meetings, I remember who I was to meet, and I was going to call him and say, listen, I can't do lunch today, I can't meet with you today, I don't feel good, I just want to stay in bed. I want to stay right here in my comfort zone, right here on my couch, with my blankie, with my cat, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> that's a long story. 
But my oldest daughter is 12, and I have said no to a cat, but I came home from the hospital on Saturday. I told him, listen, life is too short, guys. I'm sorry. You can have a cat. (laughs) No exaggeration. On Sunday, there was a cat in my house. (laughs) True story. Well, here, and I hate cats. And it was a rescue cat. And because I was the one that was home with it for two weeks straight when I was sick, guess whose is, uh, anyway. And so, and, and I just, yeah. And, and so I'm just laying there on the couch, and I just want to stay there with my blanket, with my cat, curled up right on my feet, and just the rest of the world can go away. What I found out later as I was talking to a cardiac nurse of many, many years She told me, she said, I was praying for you mentally more than anything. Because she said, most men who have heart attacks in their mid-30s, early 40s, never recover mentally. She said, emotionally, you're strong, you're in your prime, you're going forward in life. And when something like that hits you, you're done. And I could see that because I wanted to be done. I'll just be honest with you. I wanted to be done. But God said... Get up. Get up. You can't lay here. You can't pretend the world is not going on. I've got work for you to do. Get up, Joshua. And God said, get up, Trey. And so I had to get up off the couch. I had to get up and clean up and get dressed and go to work. I couldn't be there any longer. And it was a battle. I'll just be honest with you for days, for weeks, and for months with this battle. And the Lord just kept going back, and I just had to keep going back to those two words, get up, get up. And every day when I wanted to stay home, when I wanted to stay in bed, I got up. Now, going back to Matthew 25, um, talking about investments. I'm the type of guy that, that wants to be the one preaching. I want to be the one in charge. I want to be the one leading. I want to be the one making the decisions. That's just who I am. That's who I've always been. When I was a junior in high school, I wanted to be president of the junior class. When I was a senior in high school, I wanted to be president of the senior class. When I was in college, I wanted to be the president of this and president. That's just who I've been. Let me be the one to make the decisions. And so I'm a pastor. It's no different. I want to be the one making the decisions. And the one greeting the visitors, the one, you know, just doing what your pastor does. I'm home for three, I'm home out of the pulpit for three weeks. On, on week number three, my wife tells me, hey, we had two college girls visit today, and I love visitors. And we had two visit, they got out in a hurry, but they were twins and they were there. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'll never be back. Lucas was preaching, my assistant. <laughs> um, and so, I'll, he knows. Um, and I finally make it back to church the fourth week, and I'm there, and I'm looking around, and you know what? Those twins were back. Not only were they back, they brought somebody with them. And you know what the Lord told me? It's not about you, Trey. It's not about you. 
That was a hard lesson for me. And I heard a pastor give this illustration one time, a pastor that I love, a pastor I admired, that left the church and the ministry he was in. And he said, you know, those years that I was in that ministry, he had his hand in a bucket. And he said, now that I'm going, that's the impact that I made. I'm like, no, that's not right. Man, you had a wonderful impact. You had an impact on my life. You made a huge difference. But on that moment, when that happened, I realized that my hand is simply a hand in the bucket. I am here to do what God has me to do. And you know what? Faith Baptist Church is going to go on, with or without me. If I had died on September 13th, I would have got a nice picture probably up in the lobby somewhere of myself. And in about six months, people would be walking by that picture and they wouldn't even remember Drake Spicer. Because the ministry is going to go on. And the Lord's going to see to it the ministry is going on. But it wouldn't have been the same picture with my children. Right? They weren't going to forget that in six months. They couldn't forget that in a year. But for the last four years, what had I been spending my investments in? Faith Baptist Church. On the ministry. And some of you here tonight, it might not be the ministry, but it might be the office. It might be your classroom. It might be the grades. It might be your business. Whatever. And you've been investing and investing and investing, and that's not a bad thing, okay? And and I want to be full bore in the ministry, but here's the problem. That was investing, 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 And I hadn't gone on a vacation or invested in my family for four years, five years. The church is going to go on. But what about my kids? What about those two boys that God has put under my care? I thought, man, what have I done? And so things have had to be different. I don't have to be in the pulpit all the time. I don't have to be everywhere for everybody all the time. Because I've got a responsibility right here that God has placed in my care called my family. And I heard it said many times, you know, this church could always get another pastor, but my children will never get another father. But it's not until you're laying in the hospital bed getting ready to go into eternity that that really rings true. And it was through this whole ordeal that God brought that to light. Your kids will never get another mother. Your children will never have another father. It's you. And I'm thankful that the Lord took me through this now. And so I can look back at age 39. I'm not old like Michael yet. Um, (laughs) And I will be next month. Um, And allowed me to learn these lessons now. You know, my wife and I have always said, why does God take us through the hard stuff so we can help others instead of just letting us to learn without going through it. But I'm thankful that God has let me go through this honestly. One, because I deal with people a whole lot differently that's going through anxiety and issues like that. And, and two, it's because my kids are 12, 10, 9, and 7, and I've got a chance to do what's right by them. Amen. And not one day they look at me and say, Dad was never home because he was always at church. And that's exactly what they said up to my heart attack. Matter of fact, At least twice, my children said, Dad, why are you going back to church again? 
And my wife told me, one of them came here and said, why is dad always going? And that's, that's unfortunate. But the Lord has taught me a valuable lesson. And I'm thankful to be here, and I'm thankful that I've learned that lesson. Does that mean I'm going to be a perfect dad? No, I'm going to fail. But by God's grace, I'm going to do what I can to invest in the lives of those children. Amen. And just do what God wants me to do. Wherever it is, however it is, listen, the master was gone for a long time, but we don't know that our time is long. Okay, I was, I was fit. I was getting ready to run a marathon. I, I was in very good shape. I have been my whole life. Second degree black belt in, in Taekwondo. Um, run, athletics, soccer. That's, that's been my life. And I'm laying in the hospital bed. Now I'm power walking. <laughs> I hate it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll get back to running eventually, but I, I doubt I ever run another marathon. That's hard for me. I doubt I'll ever be competitive in a 5K in my age group, let alone overall again. That's hard for me. But that's okay because that's the new normal. And that's what God has for me now. And, and those things, that's, that's not, it's important. Don't, you need to exercise 30 minutes a day. But that's not priority. It's just doing what God wants me to do. Investing in the things that God has asked me to invest in and keeping those priorities straight. If you've got any questions, if you have a family history and you're a little scared, I know I scare everybody. Um, a lot of phone calls I got after my heart attack was, Trey, tell me exactly how you felt because they want to know. Explain chest pain. Um, what do you mean about your left arm? Um, honestly, I'll answer any of those questions that you have about that, or maybe you're just struggling with some anxiety, I'd be glad to talk to you about that as well. Um, you know, I have found that I think medications was a big part of that, and um, I've been able to weed off some of that, and I'm, I'm 100% better now. And I've, I'm over that. Um, now I wish I was going to Arch, but that's okay. The Lord, the Lord knows. And I'm, I'm doing 100% better. God's been good, and it's taken time, and um, there's still a long way to go. But thank you, Tim, for allowing me to come and share my testimony. I hope that was glorifying to the Lord, not man. And um, I'm, on, I'm out there. I'm on Facebook or wherever. You can just message me with questions. These guys got my number. You can call me, and I'd be glad to help you in any way that I can.